Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. Good morning, church. <laughs> Gosh, I didn't know if that church news was ever going to go up, but we got there in the end. <laughs> That's good. What's a family without a few issues there now and again? Well, we were going to be running on generator power this morning, weren't we? Because there was going to have a, a electrical works going on, but that didn't happen. So we still get the air con at full strength. Yeah, it's good. It's been such a hot week. <laughs> uh, but it's lovely to be here with you. I am excited to bring this word to you this morning. And for those who have been with us over the past few weeks, you would know that we've been going through a series on Nehemiah. And Brad's taken us through to the end of that last week, did a wonderful job. If you weren't here, or even if you were, do catch it on the podcast, because a second listening always merits more wisdom and gives God another opportunity to speak to us through scripture. So for sure, get on the podcast. And I don't think I need to tell anyone that we're about to enter the Christmas season. (laughs) Tom, are you aware (laughs) I just need to make sure. Okay. Right? Yeah? Okay. Is is the tree up yet? No, I'm going to pick up a new tree after church. Okay. There we go. (laughs) Right. But this week, I've got a bit of freedom to do whatever I want, apparently. Um, (laughs) So, I've decided that I'm actually going to bridge this gap between the end of Nehemiah and that period in the Old Testament... And I'm going to take us through the 400 intertestamental years called the silent years and then through to the birth of Christ. Spoiler alert for Christmas Day. Uh, <laughs> but I hope, I hope I didn't need to tell anyone that. So that's what we're going to do today. And so just to recap, because as Brad finished Nehemiah last week, uh, we learned that Nehemiah had left uh, Jerusalem, left Judah to go back to his job with the king. And when he left, the Israelites, they, they lost some of their leadership. They lost some of their focus towards God. And when they lost that vision, that focus towards God, they began to slide backwards into the old ways of the years gone by and into the ways and the paths and the cultures of the people around them. And it caused a lot of hurt and a lot of damage. And then Nehemiah returned, and he set a few things right. But by and large, he was just like, what have you guys done? This is not good. This is not how I left you. And the prophet Malachi was a contemporary of Nehemiah, would have been around at the same time. And uh, in his book, which is the last book of the Old Testament, we see these dialogues with God and Malachi, and we see all of this woe and strife because of the bad things that are happening. And there is promises as well and, and prophecies of hope in the book of Malachi. But the current situation is far from hopeful. And so Malachi actually leaves Judah with these final words of prophecy direct from God, direct from God. And these are the last words of the Old Testament, not just... Uh, as far as we've laid them out, but chronologically, 
these are the last words of a prophet in our Old Testament canon. And it says in verse 5 to 6 of chapter 4, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. There's some hope in there. There's some promise. But there's also some warning. And I don't know if anyone wants to pull this out and, and make a theory on it, but if our first words of the Old Testament are in the beginning, the last words are total destruction. Isn't that just... Oh, just fills you with warm, fuzzy feelings, doesn't it? The Old Testament ends on total destruction. Well, not quite. And if we look at the scripture, the main emphasis is on the coming of this prophet Elijah and the fact that he will turn the hearts. And this word turn, uh, it comes from the Hebrew root verb shuv, which better translates as to return or to bring back or to renew and rebuild. It has those connotations. So this certainly is a positive message here, that there will be a bringing back of the hearts of parents to children, children to parents. And while that uh, is a message directly for the family structures of the Jews, it also talks about the children of God and their father, and that hearts will be turned back. And the other word I want to pick out here from this scripture is uh, this term, or else, which makes it sound like, I'm sure we've heard or else from a parent in, in our childhood once or twice, or in our adulthood once or twice. <laughs> but this word, or else, uh, is the Hebrew word pen, which better translates as lest or so that not. Basically, instead of it being uh, do this, like turn your hearts back, or I'm going to destroy you, God's actually saying, I don't want to destroy you. And so that not, I don't destroy you, it's, you know, a bit clunky. I have set this path in place. I have set this prophecy of Elijah in place because I don't want to destroy you. That was the alternative, but it's not what I intend to happen. And so we do end on a positive note. But it is sobered by the fact that this is the last word from God for 400 years. And we enter what is called the silent years, from roughly 430 BC to 30 BC. God has stopped speaking to his people, at least as far as our biblical canon is concerned. I don't know if anyone here, we might do a show of hands and I'll, I'll check gender ratios. Has anyone ever been subjected to the silent treatment before? Yeah? I'm looking at husbands, I'm looking at... Okay, and now we'll go the other way. Has anyone ever used the silent treatment before? Okay, Tim's used the silent treatment before. Interesting. On Beck, or...? Oh, not telling, okay. <laughs> too, too much information. Um, okay, here's, here's the last one. Has anyone ever wished someone would use the silent treatment because they just won't shut up? <laughs> right? I know for some people that's probably me. <laughs> Uh, but Israel and the world effectively enters a period where God is giving a bit of the silent treatment. And this isn't 
one of those silent treatments where they're sulking and, and they're just being spiteful and they're not going to communicate. But this is one of those times where it's like, if I speak to you right now, you better watch out what words come out. Like, you don't want my words right now because they're going to be red hot and coming for you. So God has this distance and he leaves his people rebellious, stubborn, but also lost, broken, and desperate, crying out in much the same way that they cried out to God for 400 years while they were enslaved in Egypt. And that similar period of time is no mistake, it's no coincidence that Israel was enslaved in Egypt for 400 years before the exodus with Moses. And this silent period does end, as we well know. And that's what I want to explore today, is the end of this silent time, breaking the silence, as it were. Because the scriptures actually lead us on a journey of sound. And as I've reflected upon it and as I've studied, I've just found it amazing and beautiful. And it gives glory to God, this journey of sound. And so more than an encouragement or a challenge or a promise, which sermons are often full of, and I've still got a few of them, and they're great. <laughs> but more than any of that, today I just want to lead us through this journey of sound in Scripture. And I'll be looking mostly from Luke's chap Luke chapter 1 and 2. Because there is a dynamic that, that we can become aware of. And perhaps as a musician, uh, I... I'm more aware, more apparently, because we often have to pay attention to our dynamic of sound, of the rises and lows, of the swells, of the solos, of the silence, because each moment has meaning and can draw out power, both in the silence and the sound. But after this promise of Elijah, these final words, there is this great period of silence, and then the silence in little ways in little whispers and rumors, begins to break, and creation begins to stir. And if silence is a symbol, oh, I'll say the other way, actually. Sound is often a symbol of life, energy, closeness, presence. Yes, sometimes anger and sadness can be quite loud and, and use sound, but for the most part, sound is energy and life and relationship and communication. Silence is hostility, is distance, is severance. There is a disconnect. And so that is what has happened to the people of God. But in Luke 1, we receive the first whisper from heaven again after 400 years. And so we meet Zechariah the priest ministering in the temple. And from Luke 1, verse 11, we read, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, 
and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is the first whisper in direct fulfillment of that final prophecy 400 years ago. But do notice that it is not the voice of God. God has sent an intermediary, the angel Gabriel, to send this message to Zechariah. There is still a disconnect. There is still a distance. God has not returned with his voice and his word to his prophets, to his people. Not in the same way that it was with Malachi. But there is still a whisper and a promise has been answered. More than one, in fact. This isn't just about the prophecy of Elijah, but it seems that Zechariah had been praying for a child and probably praying for a while. And so the angel Gabriel says, your prayer has been heard and it has been answered. Your wife is going to give birth to a son. And now something interesting happens here because we know from Scripture that Zechariah had been praying for this. He'd been praying probably for years because he was getting on in years. And now he's in the temple ministering, worshipping, setting up incense, and an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, that prayer, that prayer that you've been praying, I've answered it, God's answered it. And Zechariah, Zechariah responds like this in verse 18, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. What? An angel has just come and said, your prayer not this random thing that's improbable and impossible, but the very thing you've prayed for will be done. And now he questions? And it makes me think, and I don't know for sure, but maybe Zechariah never truly believed his prayer. Maybe he prayed it because, like, you know, God's good and I'll give it a go, but I don't really expect anything to happen because I'm old and my wife is old. But I'll keep praying because, you know, it's, it's what, I'm, what I'm here to do. I don't know if we've ever prayed a prayer like that, where we pray it because we should, but we don't really believe that it's going to happen. Maybe we believe God could make it happen, like he's powerful enough, but we don't believe his will is in it. We don't believe he's paying attention. But Zechariah says, how can I be sure? So the prayer that he'd prayed... He now doesn't believe, even when the answer is right there, proclaimed to him. And in this moment, this is the first moment of the breaking of the silence of God. And in this moment, when the first words are proclaimed, Zechariah makes his voice louder than God's. The whisper has started, the stirring has started, but Zechariah says, up, 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 up. Nah. And there is a consequence to this. As we read on in verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Basically, listen up here, boy. I come direct from him 
And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I don't care if you're asking for surety. I don't care if you're asking for some sign of promise. That's going to happen. And now, because you made your voice louder than God's, that's been taken away. And the world is caught up in silence once again because the only person who received the promise can't talk. And so if we're looking at dynamics, we've had this silent period and then we have this brief blip, this brief whisper, and then it's gone and no one knows. I mean, they know that something's happened because Zechariah's lost his voice, but they have no clue that this Elijah is coming yet. And so we understand that disobedience and distance can generate silence. And the, most, the, the way that that usually looks is it'll generate deafness to God. Because God might still be talking, but if we separate ourselves, if we let other voices, and we always talk about the voice of the world, but we also have to remember the voice, our own voice. If we let our voice get stronger than God's voice in our life, we will become deaf to his promises and his truths. Silence doesn't always mean distance. I want to make that clear. If you have experienced a silent season from God in your life, that doesn't mean you've done everything wrong. That doesn't mean he's abandoned you forever. Silence doesn't always mean distance, but our distance certainly does generate silence. And so six months go by, six months more of silence. And we go down to verse 26 when a second whisper occurs. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In verse 34, How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. A second whisper, also not directly from God, but from Gabriel again. He's getting his hours in, he's getting paid. And a second question from the recipient. But this question is slightly different. For while Zechariah said, how can I be sure? Mary asks, how will this be? And there is a difference in there, which is confirmed as we get further along in Scripture. But while Zechariah was questioning the surety of God's word, the reliability of God's word, Mary believed. She was questioning the method of its delivery. Because 
you know, it warrants knowing when you're being told you're going to have a son when you're a virgin. <laughs> like, it, it warrants a bit of inquiry, I think. And she was also quite terrified. So, you know, best to clarify. But she did believe that it was possible. She did believe that it was happening. She just wanted to know more about what it was. And so the angel answers in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And that there is the sign of her belief. She says, may your will be done. Enough of my questions, enough of my fear. May your word, God, be fulfilled. Your word that I'm listening to. And then the angel left her. And so this is the second whisper. And the first whisper brings us the fulfillment of the promise of Elijah. But this second whisper brings an even greater promise of a Messiah prophesied in Isaiah and other books. A promise of a new kingdom and a new king. The silence is breaking once again. The stirring has started. But this time, it does not fall completely back into silence. This time, Mary goes and visits her cousin. And in verse 44, we read from the words of Elizabeth, As soon as the sound of Mary's greeting, your greeting, reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary spreads the word a little bit. Someone else joins in the whisper, joins in the murmur. Even unborn baby John gets in on the action. And he's leaping for joy because he knows what's coming. His spirit can sense it. And the, Mary's response to this is her song, which I'm not going to go through in its entirety now because we do have some good amount of scripture to get through. But Mary's song praises God and glorifies God from her soul, exalts him and proclaims victory for the lowly against their enemies. Creation and people are beginning to respond in sound to the workings of God. And you see, Zechariah's doubt, if we're comparing the two here, Zechariah's doubt generated silence, just as it can for us. Our doubt withholds us from prayer, because why ask if it's not going to happen? Our doubt withholds us from praise, because if God's not doing it, is he worthy? He is, but in that, in that mindset, we sometimes get a bit confused. <laughs> but Mary's belief and our belief generates supplication, declaration, 
and adoration. Our belief generates supplication, that is prayer, that is asking. Because if you believe, then you're going to ask. Because it will come to pass. And if it will come to pass, then we can declare it in victory. And see, this is, all, this is all from the heart, but it's also from the mouth. There is a sound generated when we believe. And if we believe, it generates adoration, praise to God, because his word will be fulfilled to his servants. Doubt generates silence. Belief begins to stir up inside and we let it out. And we don't always believe, even when we want to. But in that moment, sound can be just as powerful because we can let our words dictate the faith that we do not yet have. And in Mark 9.24, we read, Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And this was a father hurting on behalf of his son, crying out to Jesus, saying, if I don't have it all the way, if I don't have the measure of faith required, then I'm going to ask for it. I'm going to seek for it. And I'm not going to be silent and just sit there in my unbelief. And so we can let our words stir forth the faith that we don't yet have. But the sound is growing. The sound is spreading. It is a sound of praise and a sound of joy. As John in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy but it only gets better from here. If we go down to verse 57, we read, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. They heard and they shared her joy. And so Elizabeth gives birth and everyone's going to name him Zechariah because Zechariah can't talk and it just seems like the nice, simple, traditional thing to do. But Elizabeth says, no, his name's going to be John. And they're like, okay, sure, it's a bit random, let's ask the father. So Zechariah, he signs, he makes uh, signals for a writing tablet and they give the writing tablet and he writes down, his name is John. And see, I don't know exactly what Zechariah has been experiencing over this nine-month period. I don't know exactly when he got on board with the message from Gabriel. Possibly as soon as he found out Elizabeth was pregnant. But if he didn't believe Gabriel when Gabriel was saying, your prayer is answered from God, then it's possible Zechariah took a little bit longer. It's possible that Elizabeth became pregnant and Zechariah was still thinking, I'm old, she's old, is this pregnancy going to succeed? Is it going to make it all the way? Are there going to be any complications? Is my wife now just in more danger? I don't know at what moment he got on board. But you can believe that once he was, maybe at the fourth month, maybe at the fifth month, that his silence would have started to become a little bit unbearable for him, I think. More so than it already was. Because now he has a message. Now he has a promise. Now he has something to praise, but it can't come out. Not with words. Not with sound. 
And so it's bubbling and it's building much in the same way as there had been 400 silent years for all the world. There was a silent nine months for Zechariah. And so he writes down, for the first time, he puts his words in alignment with the words of the angel, with the words of Gabriel, and he says, his name is John. And from verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. First thing out of the mouth is praise to God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, "When? what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So now the entire hill country is set astir with the whisperings of prophecy, the whisperings and the recounts of Zechariah telling, I've received word from God for my son and for my people. And it spreads and it stirs. And riding at the forefront is Zechariah's song, because he has a song as well. He has a song of praise. And we read it from verse 67. And again, I won't go through the whole thing, but it's praise and it's adoration to God. It's mercy to people. And it's just this explosion that's built up over this silent period. And, it, and the people wonder and are astounded, saying, what then is this going to be? You see, true encounter demands a response of praise. And when I use this word demands, I don't mean do this or else, like you, you better praise God if you've encountered him or else there's going to be trouble or else you're going to go into timeout, all of these things. No. I say demands like a law of nature like a law of gravity, just as an apple falls from a tree, if you truly encounter God, your heart stirs in praise and you've got to let it out. It doesn't look the same way for every person. Sometimes it's tears of joy, sometimes it's tears of sadness, usually a lot of tears. That's why we have tissue boxes, but (laughs) we're well prepared. But true encounter demands praise and Zechariah, he At some point, he connects the dots, he believes, and he says, this is happening. And that praise just waits to be released. And it spreads, and it stirs. And if we're looking at the dynamic, we've had a little whisper. We've had a little whisper. We've had a song. We've had a song. And you better believe that it's building still. You better believe that the sound is growing. When God has done good things for us, let us not shy away from praising him. Let us tell the world, and let us be gentle, let us use tact, but let us not be silent. Many of you know that I experienced a cardiac arrest three years ago. Some of you don't know. Now you know. I'm fine, by the way. But every time I mention it to others, it doesn't matter if they're Christian, it doesn't matter if they're atheist, it doesn't matter if I've known them all my life, or if I met them a week ago. I always mention that God's hand was on me and that he coordinated and assembled miracle after miracle to keep me here. 
Because I will never let an account of my life be spoken without God's name being praised. Because he, he was there. It was true. And he is worthy. That was an encounter for me. And I will never let it be spoken without praise. And so now we come to Luke chapter 2. We come to the moment. And Jesus is born. And we often talk about the fact that he wasn't born in pomp and power. He wasn't born in a palace with armies standing by his sides ready to conquer Rome. He was born in a stable on a busy Bethlehem night. Small, meek, vulnerable. And if we believe away in a manger, he didn't even cry, he was silent. I think that might be a bit of extrapolation, but I don't know. But to fully understand what has just broken through, it might be best to turn very quickly to John chapter 1. Because John says that Jesus is the Word of God. Do you catch what's happening? 400 years of silence. And then whispers, but not from God, from his angels. A whisper here, a whisper there. And then people begin to respond in songs of praise. And it spreads and it stirs. And then on this night, the word of God returns to man. But not in a form we expect. In human form. Jesus Christ, the word of God, with us. No longer distant, no longer severed, but with us. This is the roar of heaven. And in Luke 2, 8, we read, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then in verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. We had a whisper. We had a whisper. But now heaven opens to herald the moment when the word enters in. And there is a roar across the sky as multitudes of angels join in song, proclaiming praise and glory to God and peace to men on earth. The silence of heaven has broken. If I could have the worship team come up.
And again, I don't have a like three-step takeaway from this moment. I just think it's so beautiful. I see the dynamic of sound. Because I, I know that we've all experienced moments of waiting, maybe with God, maybe with earthly things. Moments of waiting without hint, without promise, without hope or sign that things are going to be different. And then maybe things start to stir. Maybe something drops here or there. But there still comes that moment where the silence breaks. And I know that, again, you just respond in praise. And all heaven, like they knew, they'd been just as earth was waiting for 400 years. Heaven and God were waiting expectantly, earnestly for 400 years saying, we're ready, we're building. There was an anticipation, there was an updraft of this sound and this praise just waiting to be released to say we're still here, God's still here and he is upon you people of Israel, he is upon you people of the world and so from verse 15 when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. From 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Once again, they heard and they spread the word. They heard, they saw, and suddenly we have a whole region stirring and praising because they weren't just saying we met a baby in a manger but they were saying what had been told to them concerning the baby in a manger and what had they been told he is the messiah from 400 years of silence waiting hinging a broken people desperate for the fulfillment of prophecies that some of them many of them might not have ever believed would come true And the word begins to spread. The word of God came to be with us as Jesus Christ. But not just to be with us, but to be within us. That we might never experience the silence of God again. But that he would be our constant minister and guide. Our father our counsellor and friend, our redeemer and our saviour. He died and rose again to be within us, the living word. The silence has broken. Woe to us if we keep that silence inside. The shepherds heard, the shepherds saw, the shepherds experienced and they spread the word. And we know at this church that preaching the gospel and being a Christian doesn't always use words. But make no mistake that words are powerful. 
sound is powerful. And when we worship, we join with that host of heaven. Because when the veil was torn in the temple, you best believe that heaven was never closed again. But it is an open heaven. We sing about that. We sing of an open heaven that God releases upon us. God is worthy of our praise. And when I, when I read through this and this dynamic of sound, again, more than any takeaway, I'm just led to praise. To praise the God who did not forget his people, but who had a plan and a prophecy and who brought that prophecy to pass to save us all from sin. And so, if you're comfortable, why don't you stand and join me in worship once again. And if you desire prayer for anything this morning, maybe you are currently going through a silent season and you would like some prayer, some encouragement, or some declaration that that season will be over, then I would love to pray with you. Our team would love to pray with you. And so if you do desire prayer for anything this morning, please come up the front. But let's just join with the angels once more this morning. And thank God that he broke the silence over us. Dear Lord, you are worthy of praise. You are holy, high, and lifted up. And we exalt you now. We exalt you with as much sound and life as we can muster. And Lord, if our belief doesn't quite meet, if our mood isn't quite there this morning, maybe we've had a really rough week, then would you give us strength in our weakness and belief in our unbelief that we would declare your praises unto the city, unto the world, and unto our souls, unto the furthest parts of the universe and the highest parts of heaven, Lord God. Would our sound be an incense unto your throne? For you are worthy of our praise. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.